Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm your host, CEO Dan Mariash. Stay tuned for my interview with world-famous and highly decorated Chazan Cantor Joseph Malavani. Just one brief reminder before we jump into our conversation, check out our series, Conversations with B'nai B'rith, and all of our interviews on Facebook and YouTube. You'll find discussions with diplomats, historians, Holocaust survivors, Middle East experts, even the first Jewish-American male astronaut in space. And get our latest content by subscribing to the B'nai B'rith YouTube channel and liking us on Facebook at B'nai B'rith International. One of the world's most famous and highly respected cantors, Joseph Malavani, served as the cantor of New York's Fifth Avenue Synagogue for 50 years, from 1973 until his recent retirement. But Malavani has dazzled audiences with his musical talents for nearly his entire life, despite his humble beginnings in Tel Aviv. In fact, his musical talents were so dazzling that his mother sold her wedding ring and used that money to purchase a piano for him so he could hone his skills, a gamble that certainly paid off. Aside from being a cantor, Malavani has held numerous distinguished academic positions, like the post of Distinguished Professor of Liturgical Music at Yeshiva University, received countless prestigious awards, including receiving the Cross of Merit, Commander of the Legion of Honor from Poland's president, taught his craft to countless students, and performed in front of world leaders like Israeli Prime Minister Itzhak Rabin, as well as audiences around the globe from Warsaw to Vilna to Paris to New York and beyond. He also holds honorary degrees from Yeshiva and Tel Aviv universities. Now, reflecting back on his lifetime of achievements as a cantor, musical artist, and a representative of world Jewry, we're pleased to welcome warmly to the show cantor Malavani. He and I will discuss his journey from a modest upbringing in Tel Aviv to becoming a dynamic cantor, inspiring many tens of thousands of people with traditional Jewish song and liturgy along the way. Cantor Malavani, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. Well, as I mentioned in my introduction, you are originally from Israel. Tell us a little about your background that I haven't touched upon, perhaps in the introduction. Uh, when did you arrive in the United States? So, um, I was the first of all, I was the cantor of the Israeli Defense Forces. And then after that, I was the cantor for four, four and a half years in Johannesburg, South Africa where I met my wife and our uh, older son was born. And then in London, five and a half years, we arrived at the Fifth Avenue Synagogue, at the invitation of Fifth Avenue Synagogue in 1973. Well, I know that you were performing at synagogues and elsewhere, even as a child. And what are, what are some of your memories of those early days? So actually, I grew up in a school in Tel Aviv called the Bilu School, which is located on Rothschild Boulevard, not far from the Man Auditorium, the Philharmonic Hall there. And it had an outstanding synagogue. There was a choir of 40 boys singing Friday night and Shabbat morning. And I had a great teacher. He was a retired cantor of the great synagogue in Tel Aviv after I don't know how old he was then. We always thought that when we were kids that he was over 80. 
turns out that his name was Shlomo Rabitz, and it turned out that he died when he was 106 years old in Tel Aviv. Uh, so that was my main background in the cantorial music. In fact, many of my, um, uh, much of the material that I teach both at Yeshiva University and in Germany, the Institute in Berlin and Leipzig, where I am rector of the Institute of Liturgical Traditional Music, I teach him because he was a sort of a prophet. He knew what will be 50 years later, what the, the, the requests uh, of people would be in terms of davening, not to repeat so many words, to move on, but to stick to what we call nusach, all those motives, musical motives by which each prayer has to be chanted. And um, whilst I teach the, the more advanced students more, um, I do uh, very much of his, of Ravitz, Shlomo Ravitz, and uh, I'm, I'm, I already have children of my students as my students at Yeshiva University. But it was Tel Aviv at the Bilu Synagogue School on Rothschild Boulevard. In your career, who are some of the other uh, influences uh, on, on your work? Good question. So number one, of course, was Shlomo Ravitz. But at that time, people wanted more. They wanted a lot of cantorial music. So the influence that I have is uh, Moshe Kosevitsky, the great cantor, who uh, managed to escape the Holocaust and he ran to Tashkent, sang in the opera house. And maybe if we'll have a chance, I'll tell you the story with the director of that opera house, because I gave two concerts there in Tashkent. But uh, Moshe Kusevitsky, um, Leib Glanz, a different style of cantorial music, very interpretive, full of force, full of passion. And uh, of course, Yossele Rosenblatt, uh, who was regarded as the king of the, of the cantors, uh, they were my biggest influence. There were other cantors because my late father used to take me to the great synagogue in Tel Aviv to hear some cantors there. I loved very much Richard Tucker with a tremendous voice, operatic voice, but when he sang cantorial music, he was a real chazan, and he knew his things. So was Jan Pierce, also his brother-in-law, uh, whom I also was very close. And so uh, they were really my big influences. You know, you mentioned uh, choirs. Um, we don't see a lot of choirs uh, today, but it's certainly a choir to me as as a as an attendee at a, at a service. Yes, um, adds a, a breath to not only to the service, but it seems that the the interface between the chazan and the choir just creates a, an entirely different sound. How how important is it as a choir? To, to a chazan and, and vice versa? So, extremely important. Uh, it also depends what kind of music they sing, how well-trained is the choir. You're talking about a choir. I remember on my first visit to Moscow in 1989 with my wife, um, I remember they didn't have a proper choir. 
they had what they call meshorerim, people who had an idea how to accompany a cantor without being professionals or fancy, if you if you don't mind. <laughs> and and um, they, uh, uh, the meshorerim, add so much to the creation of an atmosphere. Unfortunately, today you don't find too many of them. And some of them are professional singers who are not involved with the service in the synagogue. So whilst they do add a lot, but it's not the way it used to be. Well, congratulations on uh, recently attaining the title of Cantor Emeritus at uh, the Fifth Avenue Synagogue. You were synonymous with the synagogue, uh, which you were a part of for five decades. Looking back, uh, what are some of your most memorable moments from your time there? You, I'm sure there were famous visitors who, who came through New York, uh, who were uh, there yeah. uh, for, for a Friday night service, for a Shabbat service, uh, but uh, other memories that you might have to give us an idea of, of that long period of, uh, of service that you had at this uh, very important and prestigious synagogue. Sure. So, uh, first of all, Fifth Avenue Synagogue is a bastion of religious Zionism. That meant that whoever, in previous years, not lately, but in previous years, we had every prime minister or president of Israel coming to, to our uh, synagogue. That goes back from President Katsir and, and President Navon and I don't remember, President Katsav and others. Every prime minister of Israel uh, used to come to us when they came to New York. They may not have gone to synagogues in Israel much, but, uh, but they came because they felt that they wanted to see the Jews and to be together. Uh, I was extremely friendly. I became, as a result of their visit, both with uh, Yitzhak Rabin, you mentioned that, uh, very close friends with him. He knew my schedules, where I was traveling and everything, and I used to joke with him about that. And also Beggy, Menachem Beggy. I remember singing at his 65th um, anniversary of his, uh, his 65th uh, birthday in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and he told me what cantorial piece he wanted me to sing. So he loved cantorial. I will tell you a quick anecdote. We were once I, with the State of Israel bonds uh, at the um, Sinai Desert before they gave it back to, to Egypt. And, and uh, Begin was there too. And of course, uh, my part was to, to sing. So Begin came over to me, he says, Yossi, everybody calls me Yossi, by the way, you can call me Yossi too. He says, Yossi, give you full voice so that they should hear you in Cairo and Yerushalayim. And, uh, and uh, it was wonderful. I have many, many anecdotes, which I'm writing now in my book that, uh, of my memoirs and my ideas of prayers and so on and uh, so forth. In terms of more regular visitors, I can speak about Leonard Bernstein, who was a member of our synagogue, and he used to come only on Yom Kippur, but he knew the service very well. 
when I finished singing a prayer and he had the honor to open the ark, what did he do? He just went back to the bima and gave me a hug in the middle of my singing another prayer. <laughs> and you know, Yitzhak Perlman was a member of ours for quite a long time. Eli Wiesel, our Eli Wiesel. Eli Wiesel came from the same town my mother came from, Siget, in which is today, it's Transylvania, which is today Romania. But my mother used to say she was Hungarian. Okay, but um, what was his name? The president of the World Bank, James Wolfenson. Yes. James Wolfenson with his wife. I did something after the, the Lubavitch rabbi died. A rabbi uh, in Jerusalem did a fabrenk, as he used to call it. I'll remember his name in a minute. And uh, I did a singing for them. And, and so uh, very famous people, uh, a fam very famous conductor who is unfortunately not alive, whom I discovered and I told him that actually he was Jewish because his mother was Jewish. And, uh, and uh, we went once for lunch and we were talking and we were talking. Then suddenly he, knocked, he came into the synagogue. And after that, he said to me during the Kiddush, he enjoyed the Kiddush very much, the snaps and everything. And he said to me, you know, if you continue singing like this, you are going to sing until 100. I said, no, Maestro, until 120. Uh -huh. <laughs> so let me ask you, let me ask you, um, you have, of course, on Shabbat, on Friday night, on holidays, we have certain uh, prayers, certain tefillot that, that are part of the service. But when you are thinking about a concert, a cantorial concert, what kind of thinking goes into what it is that you choose? Because that's your choice. You're that, the, the program for that evening is, is what you've chosen. So what's the thought process when you get ready for the concert? Of course. I have, of course, a, in the concerts, uh, a, huge, a huge repertoire, obviously. I, um, whenever I get, and I still do the concerts, and uh, I even sing in the, uh, my own, in my, I still call it my own synagogue, Fifth Avenue Synagogue. But I always try to find out what kind of audience I'm going to have. If it is an audience of modern Jews, uh, people outside New York or whatever it is, then I built the repertoire of the concert in such a way that should appeal to them. But that would include some cantorial, but sometimes a little bit lighter, in the, 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 which are consistent with the prayers that we are doing. If I'm invited to sing for Hasidim, which happens to, or the very Orthodox Jews, I know that they are expecting mostly cantorial music. Because unfortunately, even in the Orthodox synagogues, there are not too many uh, synagogues with cantors. And so they are thirsty. They are thirsty. They, they, they beg to hear something because it's nostalgic to them. Whether it is the very religious or even the not so religious, it's nostalgic. It ties them up. It connects them with their parents, grandparents, etc., etc. 
So the concerts mainly, in other words, the repertoire mainly consists on what kind of audience. Uh, for example, I am a member of the board of what we call the Lewandowski, uh, Lewandowski uh, Festival in Berlin. Lewandowski was a famous composer who was, during the 19th uh, century, there was a tendency, funny enough, among the reformed synagogues to have similar music that the Protestant church had. He composed a lot of them, but the most beautiful thing that existed was that Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, the, the rabbi of the Austrian Gemeinde, in other words, the, the, the community that broke away from the general community, he permitted to sing his music. Of course, not with an organ on Shabbat, I'm talking about on Shabbat, but to sing it with a choir and with a chazan. So uh, I'm a member of that board and I enjoy singing that music. Sometimes I, I gave a three, just before the pandemic, I gave a, a full recital with members of the Berlin Philharmonic and the, um, another orchestra from somewhere uh, um, Eastern Europe, forgot which country, and uh, as, uh, Chernovitz, from Chernovitz. And uh, yes, now they're in touch with me. They would like me to come to visit Chernovitz. I've never been there yet, but I'll be there. Do you think um, secular Jewish repertory or even opera, oratorio, does, does that also go into the, um, to the repertoire? Yes. So the question, this issue is always in a recital or with only piano or orchestra, I throw in one or two arias. There again, it depends the, on the audience, what kind of an audience. Uh, but I have sung many oratorios, mostly oratorios and arias from, arias from operas, but oratorios have sung quite a few, whether it's Handel, whether it's Haydn, uh, whether it's uh, Mendelssohn. And I've sung it uh, here and in Europe. Uh, I remember once with a, with a, in Prague, the Prague Symphony Orchestra, which is a top world uh, orchestra, I did the, the oratoria Elijah, Eliyahu. So I was always trying to look, oratorios usually are uh, based on um, biblical, not biblical text as much, but on biblical stories, biblical events. So yes, I've done it. Well, we, you and I, um, together with, with others, <clears throat> were in Vilnius, in Vilna, uh, for the 200th anniversary of the, the 200th Yortzai of the Vilna Gaon. Yes. Uh, and uh, it, it was a, a major occasion uh, there in, in Lithuania. You performed uh, in, in the big uh, concert hall. Tell us about that concert. Okay, so the, uh, in Lithuania, there was Anatolis and the Rovas, who was the uh, laureate composer of the... Of the of, of Lithuania, and um, after the uh, and uh, he composed a tremendous oratorio called Shema Israel, Hear O Israel. Uh, it was he composed it for a tenor. He looked for a tenor and he found me, 
he lived in Vilna and um, he um, composed for a tenor cantor, for a boys choir, men's choir, and a massive symphony orchestra. So uh, you and I were at the same place at the world premiere of that oratorio. As a result of this and further visits to Vilna, by the way, I'm the honorary chief cantor of Vilna. I have a nice, uh, nice Megillah from the community. And as a result of that, I became the honorary chief cantor. And uh, they were very, the com community was very, very happy to uh, give it to me. Um, the title, which I was proud, which I am proud to, to carry. And uh, I can tell you that on November 2023, we are scheduled to do it again. So he, well, the oratoria was done at that time. Yeah, yeah that concert was, was in the presence of the president of Lithuania. And you know, when you, when you think of the, of the great um, community which existed there until 1941, uh, then the terrible tragedy, over 90% of the Jews killed in Lithuania in a very short period of time, really yes. two years, two and a half yes. years. Um, yes. And then this, uh, not this, this revival of the, of the community and then to have this uh, magnificent concert, it was a stirring performance and, and, a, and a stirring uh, evening. I, I wanna ask you also about teaching. Um, it, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to, to have uh, the position uh, that a, a chazan holds uh, in in uh, the life of a synagogue, in the life of its prayer, um, but how do you convey all that that you've learned, um, the 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 nuances uh, in terms of 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 how one presents prayer uh, to students? What's what's the process? Yes, so that's uh, there again an outstanding uh, question, and thank you for asking it. Uh, what I do is the following. First of all, if, if my Rebbe, uh, Shlomo Ravitz, uh, they published two volumes of his music for the entire yearly cycle of prayers. Number one. So I come before the class. Number one, I introduce and explain the text of the particular prayer I want to work with them and I'll come to the music in a second, the origin, the meaning, the translation, uh, the importance as part of the synagogue service or, or part of the Siddur, the prayer book, whether it is Shabbat or whether it is a, a Jewish holiday. Then I go to the music and I do it step by step. I sing it two or three times and not the entire piece, but I chop it, so to speak, to many parts. And I sing it, as I said, two, three, four times. And then I get them to sing it with me uh, together. Thirdly, I provide them copies, musical notes uh, from the books. Let's talk about Ravitz, my rabbi because I believe that in today's um, uh, situation, uh, his style, which is based on tradition, of course, 
is very important, um, I give them the music notes. Now, whether they, um, whether they read music or not, they are required to hold the music in front of them. I, trans, I transliterated the music so that they should be able to read it with my own handwritings in the books and I've worked for years on that. <laughs> and you know, and, I, I, and, and why do I require them to have the music notes in front of them? Because I always tell them that when they listen to, yes, and I ask them also to have some kind of a recording device so they can record me and hear it at home or wherever they are. And they do that, they listen in the car, they listen, I don't, whatever it is. But the idea is to show them when they see the music notes that now it's moving up and that will be some kind of an indication as to what is happening with this particular composition. And together with these four elements that I just described, they, they stand to eventually remember it and they will remember it very well. All I can tell you that uh, sons of uh, former students, when I start teaching them the same as I taught their father, they say, oh no, I know that. I said, okay, sing it for me. So they sing it properly, not always so properly. I correct them, but I am in a very good mood with, uh, with the teaching because I am a pedagogue. I like to give, I like to explain. I want people to know exactly what's happening so that they should go home with knowledge, with appreciation, with love of that music. How do you impart emotion? The emotion that's connected to the prayer. I mean, you are, as Chazan, you are entrusted uh, with, with praying on behalf of, of the congregation. Um, and uh, to me, always, uh, the, the, the great fascination with listening to, to the great Chazanim, such as yourself, is, is feeling that emotional connection to, to the prayer itself. Uh, is it possible to impart that? In, in teaching? Not easy, not easy, but uh, what, what I do during the teaching is first of all, I really give them the material. I sing it in full voice. I don't play around. I give everything that I can. Then I say to them, okay, it's very difficult guys to teach you emotion. Please listen to me. You are all musical guys, otherwise you wouldn't come to study. So listen to what I do, and then I sing it again with as much emotion and passion that I would do during the services in the synagogue. So I give of myself so much. I put my heart into it. I put my mind into it. It's a combination of heart and mind and passion and everything else. And they record it. Then they take it home and they come back sometimes, Kanto Malovani, I have a question to you. And they ask, why did you do this here and not somewhere else? 
So I always tell them, look at the text. Did the text ask that I should pour my heart or do I just make some kind of a statement? And I want rather to do it in a nice way, in a proper way, in a meaningful way. I want to ask you about another performance. Uh, January 27th, 2005, you chanted the memorial prayer for the, the victims of the Shoah, commemorating the 60th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz-Birkenau at an outdoor ceremony attended by European heads of state, including royalty, presidents, prime ministers. And the same year, you also performed the memorial prayer at the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising 65th anniversary in front of the monument, which was attended by uh, a million people. What were those experiences like? What did they mean to you personally and professionally? And, and on those occasions, on those, those special occasions, uh, marking these, these um, anniversaries, for example, does that, does that uh, in, add to, to the inspiration that needed to, uh, to, that one needs to bring to that particular moment? All I can tell you that when I sang in Auschwitz uh, in front of heads of states, some of whom, before the ceremony, I took aside, and I don't want to mention a particular head of state at this stage, uh, I told them that under the snow, under the ice, there are still bones that in the spring, summer, you'll be able to collect them. On, on those bones, on those people who lost their lives, including my grandmother, including my uncles and cousins, I lost 56 members of my family in the Holocaust. Uh, the close family and the extended, extended uh, family. And uh, I can tell you that when I sang the, the memorial prayer, the Kel Malera Hamim, I broke down for a second. I just, I was standing with all these heads of states who after that stood, so to speak, in a line, on a line to congratulate me. I don't need a congratulation for singing the memorial prayer. Oh, you voice, or you this, uh, this, have you been to my country? I said, yes, I've been. I met uh, Queen Beatrix from Holland and the, the queen, <laughs> and she was there. And I said, you remember? Oh, yes, you sang that famous symphony, Mechaia Mitim, the revival of the dead in the, in the opera house in Amsterdam, for example. So, uh, so I get very emotional. When it was um, uh, in Warsaw, and there is an unbelievable picture of me, because I always I wear a big Magen David, the star of David, uh, made, it's not gold, it looks like gold, but it's not gold. I wear it with a talit, with my cantorial uh, clothes. Um, I uh, also was very emotional, and I remember the then uh, president of uh, Poland, he took me aside and put his hands on my shoulders and, and he just didn't know how to, I forgot his name. That's not the president who knighted me. The president who knighted me was Alexander Kwasniewski. And we've remained 
excellent friends. Whenever he comes to New York, we go out for dinner and vice versa. Well, tell me about, tell me, you just mentioned something and I wanted to ask you about that too. Talk to us about the incredible recognition that you've received all over the world. I mean, your awards, your honorary degrees and titles. Tell us about that because, you know, we think of a, of a cantor in a synagogue. Uh, you, you are a, a, a global cantor um, and the recognition has come to you from so many different quarters. So tell us a bit about that. So um, what I can tell you is that after the, when I sang for one million people in the streets of Warsaw, uh, there was full of microphones, of speakers, of course. The, it, it, uh, the following morning in the main newspaper, and I don't know Polish, although my father was from Poland, but I, I, I never, I don't know, just a few words. And um, uh, in the front page of that most important Gazeta something. I think it's Wyborca, but I That's may be mispronouncing it too. That's the, the leading a daily newspaper, I think, in, in Warsaw. Correct. And uh, you know, the following morning, the front page did not show the president, did not show the prime minister, did not show the chief rabbi of Poland, who is a friend. The front page was the cantor of the Fifth Avenue Synagogue um, of New York. Almost full pay, full size of a newspaper. That a thing like this was always important to me. Not that I needed it, although I appreciated it, uh, because it showed that the uh, something you know, Eastern Europe, uh, the liturgy. The, I'm talking about the musical liturgy was always based on emotion, on and refined singing correct pron uh, uh, production of the voice. And uh, uh, the combination of all these elements appeal to them, even if they are not Jewish, whether it was at that time in Vilna, as you mentioned, or I'm also the chief cantor, honorary chief cantor of Riga. I gave a concert at the Opera House and out of the blue, they give me a citation uh, <laughs> that they get assigned by the mayor of the town and the rabbi, the chief rabbi of whatever, yeah, chief rabbi of Vilna, of Riga. And so, uh, you know, these things make impression on a lot of non-Jews. There, there, no, there is no one million Jews in Poland or in Warsaw. That means that the majority, the very majority, were uh, Gentiles. Nevertheless, they came. And the following day, when I was walking in the street in Warsaw, I just went out for a walk and, uh, from the hotel, and uh, people came, uh, stopped me in the street. You are the canto, they said. They didn't know how to pronounce it properly. And you, you sang it, we heard you, that that was so important, one after the other, let alone the concerts with various symphony orchestras in Poland, whether it is in Romania, Macedonia, I don't know, all over, uh, let alone about 
the audience there who to start with love music, although they don't understand our music, but they feel the passion. So you really have been the leader in, shall we call it, cantorial diplomacy, because yes, the, yes. The, the, uh, the, the response and the reaction really has been, has been global. You're not only praying on our behalf, but you're also representing us, as I said earlier in the introduction, uh, representing us as Jews to uh, a broader uh, non-Jewish uh, community. Absolutely. I think it's very important. They have, to, they have to understand that we try to, I try to do as much as I can to tell them that we are part of humanity and we are good people and that we, we care for each other, whether are Jews or non-Jews, if there is need uh, and where there is need. And, and, uh, and, and so I express it and I explain it to them. Sometimes when I have interviews before a concert uh, for the press uh, interview, uh, I remember one interview in, in Warsaw with a concert that, uh, before a concert that I gave with the Warsaw uh, Chamber Orchestra. They've never heard anything like this with an orchestra. Or when I sang Shostakovich's Jewish songs, the tenor, they, 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 they didn't. And I said to, to the, the producer, I would like to sing it in Yiddish because Shostakovich sang and wrote it both in Russian and in Yiddish. Hmm. I had an argument with the conductor, but so we decided to do it part in, in Russian and part in, in Yiddish, because I wanted to be, the people to be aware that Yiddish was very prevalent in, in Eastern Europe. Yiddish was the language. And I explained it in the press conference and so on and so, so forth. So wherever I can be the ambassador of our music, of our religion, of our people, through the singing, I'm there. Well, Kandra Malavani, we've learned so much about your illustrious musical career, countless accomplishments and communities that you've touched. We've just talked about them. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on your well-deserved retirement. But it sounds as if you've got a book coming and um, what else lies ahead for Joseph Malavani? Well, I have the teaching, of course, and I have the concerts and I have the lectures. Uh, so I'm a very busy man, and occasionally now my synagogue, and I still call it my synagogue, I gave the best years of my life happily with wonderful, a wonderful, outstanding synagogue, and um, so uh, they asked me to I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago I was in Tel Aviv, and uh, uh, it was a Wednesday evening, and my cell phone rings. And my president is on the, on the phone. So I said to him, well, what can I do for you for 12,000 miles away from New York? So he asked me, where are you, in China? I said, no, 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 I'm in Tel Aviv. Oh, really? When are you coming back? I said, I plan to come early in the morning. I take the night flight Thursday night. I'll be back in Tel Aviv, in New York, um, uh, early Friday morning in time for Shabbat. I'll be in Shul. He says, we have a problem. Can you please do Shabbat davening? I said, listen, there is no argument. It's my show. 
It's my Omid. I gave everything there. Of course. So I came home, took a shower, and I cannot sleep on a plane. So I just rested a little bit at home, and I went to shul to sing. If you have technique, vocal technique, that's another important thing. Extremely important, because otherwise people get sore throats and so on. You have to have a good technique, which I inquired with uh, two or three great voice, not cantorial, of course, but just voice teachers. I had, I had one, a great one here in New York, who was outstanding. Until he passed away, I went to him three times a week. Well, I can tell you, we're certainly envious of those who have been able, uh, particularly at your synagogue, uh, to hear you for so many years, so many weeks, and so much uh, prayer, uh, and so much inspiration. Um, really, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us and wishing you only the best and good health ahead. And I thank you so very, very much indeed for inviting me to participate in your program for Bnei Brit. I recall, I don't know why I didn't continue here, but I, when we lived in London, I was a member of Bnei Brit. And I think this will induce me to rejoin okay. it. Well, <laughs> and I look forward. It, it, would, it, would be, it would be our great honor. Thank you again. Thank you again so much. It's my pleasure, and uh, thank you very, very much also. Well, if you're looking for more of our programming, visit our website, benebrit.org, to listen to all of our conversations, podcasts, and live interviews. Thank you again to Cantor Joseph Malavani for sharing with us some of his experiences as a world-renowned cantor and tenor soloist. And thank you, all of you, for listening today. Now, if you like what you hear and you're in a podcast app already, just tap the subscribe button to follow us. You can also listen to the show via the B'nai B'rith website. For my guest, Cantor Joseph Malavani, and for B'nai B'rith, I'm your host, Dan Mariasha. Talk to you again soon.